Hello, 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 and welcome to There's This Thing at Work, the podcast where we delve into the workplace issues that are usually swept under the carpet. We're here so you can stop listening to your friends, partners, and parents telling you what you want to hear, not what you need to hear. Tough situations need honest and direct answers, and in There's This Thing at Work, our panel of people experts are going to find them. Hey, welcome back to another episode of There's This Thing at Work. My name is Ben Branson Gately, and I'm going to be your stand in host uh, for today. It's not about me, and it's definitely about our expert panel. So, what we're going to do is we're going to run around the room um, and I'll let them introduce themselves. And I guess, guys, today my question for you is um, what does LD look like at your company? Um, give us a bit of an insight to that as we roll around the room. And we're going to start with Jess. Great. I'm glad I get to go first, not after Raj, because that's just going to be an embarrassing answer to my, the question otherwise. So my name's Jess. I'm the VP people at Whereby. If you've listened to the podcast before, you know exactly who I am. So I'm not going to bore everyone with the details. Um, Whereby's L&D right now is a little tiny baby that's freshly hatched out of the egg. There's nothing really going on, to be frank. It's kind of one of those send your boss an email if you want to buy a book or if you want to go to a course kind of vibes. Um, and I've implemented uh, lots of L&D programs in the past. Super love doing them. Um, and I really want to do something super fun for Whereby. So I'm really excited to hear what everyone else is doing and chat a bit about uh, how I can do better. Amazing. Um, Shah, do you want to go next? Absolutely. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Charlotte Hamill. I'm COO and partner at Born Social. Um, learning and development at Born Social. I like to think uh, it's pretty baked into how we operate as a business, which is pretty cool. Um, we've got dedicated weekly, monthly and kind of biannual uh, conversations that we have quite heavily focused around learning and development. We dedicate four hours a month because we're a social media agency. We scope all of our time so we can quite literally protect that time. So everyone gets four hours a month to, to put into their own uh, independent learning. We have annual budgets. Uh, of course, we're a member of Learnably, uh, which is vital team support uh, and access to, to loads of great resources. Um, and I think what's quite interesting is we've also um, attached a commitment to learning and development as a end of year bonus criteria. So there's kind of that very literal incentive <laughs> to, to invest in it. Um, so yeah, lot, lots, which is which I'm very proud of. Yeah. Very nice. Um, and, and lastly, we're going to hear from the learning and development guru himself. Go Raj. Thanks, thanks Ben. Um, hi everyone, I'm Rajiv Day, founder and CEO of Learnably. Uh, we are an L&D company, so it's very much in our DNA what we do. So as you'd expect, we do offer every employee their own uh, learning and development budget and access to our own platform. Um, we have inbuilt personal development plans, so we review that regularly, ensure people are on track, uh, have a Slack learning channel where people share insights and learnings, run lunch and learns. Uh, arrange mentors and shadowing sessions for people where they want to. And we really believe in kind of growing our own talent. So a number of our colleagues have moved internally uh, two, three times already in the short period of time as they've kind of put their hand to something new. So wherever possible, we will try and grow our own um, and give those people those opportunities to grow. 
but yeah, plenty more and um, look forward to exploring it further. Super nice. And if you're sitting there thinking, I imagine that the topic for today is learning and development uh, focused, you would be right. You're a smart person, uh, listener. And, and as you know, we are a show driven by our audience, um, questions, topics uh, sent in uh, by all of you listening along at home. And so I'm going to read for you uh, the question that we have um, had sent in today. Uh, it's LD focused, uh, and then we'll start to run through and, and unpack it. So the individual writes, I don't know how to make the team more responsible for their own development. They want hand-holding for everything. We give them books, but it just doesn't seem to prompt them. So that's the question. Uh, and I guess what we're trying to unpack here is how to get people to take responsibility for their own learning development. Um, and where I want to start is, why is L&D so important um, as a topic for an organization to consider when they're thinking about their people and their culture? And I think we have to let Raj answer that. Sure, sure, happy to. Uh, so we know how hard it is to attract and retain top talent and increasingly employees want to know, what are you going to do for me? How am I going to grow? Uh, they are curious and they want to see an employer is invested in their own uh, long-term kind of career prospects. Uh, so you can look at this either as a learning and development aspect or even as a rewards and benefit proposition because increasingly, particularly in a, in a remote first world, your previous benefits like free food, free drink, gym benefits are not as accessible. So actually giving people a budget where they can spend themselves on their own development is something that employees look for. Uh, but it's also to ensure that you enable your employees to be their best selves at work because Ultimately, particularly if it's their first time job, but actually people need to grow throughout their career. And uh, we find particularly in, in scale ups, uh, first time management support is really important. You get promoted really quickly, but you lack that uh, support to really flourish in your role. So if you want people to perform at their best, you need to invest in them and give them the opportunities to, to, to grow. And that will subsequently impact your employee engagement scores. Uh, there's obviously personal growth as one of the metrics, which is measured within employee engagement. And that is a key driver for people leaving. So if you want to both attract and retain top talent, it is essential you have a holistic view towards learning and development. Very strong. Jess, when you hear that, do you think that it also contributes to like business performance and the, the output that a, that a business is driving and not just, uh, I guess, attraction and retention of, of great talent? Yeah, I mean, well, anything that touches retention is obviously going to feed into business performance to some degree. But then also, I mean, there's there's lots of things that you can, as a company, kind of help set up uh, around specific types of learning that kind of drive people in a direction that your company wants to go towards strategically. Um, and some of those ones can be like extremely, like clearly connected to what you want to do. Like, hey, we're going to put all of our developers on this very specific technical course. Um, or it could be something a little bit more uh, kind of, uh, I guess, loosely connected and something like, you know, getting everyone on a negotiation course or like a decision-making course or something. Um, and then that has like a very clear connection to like some strategic goals you want as a business. And hopefully people start to see those skills somewhat improve through the learning. I think one of the things that I have learned over the course of the last few years is that you can put people on one course, two course, you know, maybe have them read a book, but it doesn't mean that everyone's going to go from being like, you know, comfortable doing a public uh, speech in front of three people to all of a sudden they're Obama, right? It's going to take a bit of time to get people where you want them to be, but you will start seeing those incremental gains as a, as a company. And I think that's 
super, super beneficial. Sure, do you agree? Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think I agree with both uh, um, both of them. Um, I, I, for me, I think the the obvious way to come at it from a business is that performance piece. It kind of you, to get people to perform at that level, they need to be learning and developing and training to kind of give them the skills that they need. But actually, that cultural piece, I think, is the really, really valuable piece because actually people uh people performance isn't what continues to drive them um and I think often if we look at where we're seeing like a lack of learning and development that's often coming from a lack of motivation which maybe is fed from a lack of confidence in themselves or a lack of direction so I think when we look at all the things that that feed into uh learning and development I think they are they are really uh, I guess like vital to a, a thriving a thriving team. Um, so yeah, I think I think learning and development should be a fundamental focus for for any any business. And um, you know, I'm really excited to hear that Jess is like right at the beginning of that with Whereby because I really remember when Born was at that stage and it felt like we had no time, <laughs> no budget, like nothing really to 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 start with. But actually you know, you can do so much with actually very little. Um, and so, I, yeah, I really hate to hear it when businesses use like budget and time as an excuse because I just don't think it is one. Yeah, I agree. Raj, go on, Jess. Oh, no, I was just, I agree with the budget and time excuse. I think, I mean, it really frustrates me when people say that the reason that they, they haven't got L&D opportunities for their team is because, oh, we don't have enough time to make it happen. Like, I think at the beginning of my career, I didn't really know what L&D was outside of the extremely formal HR grad program that I did, yeah. right? Which is like, <laughs> you go and do a course with six of your peers and you learn about whatever it is you, you learn about for three hours. And then you go back to your desk and you've got like a, a ring binder with a bunch of paperwork in it. And that that's it, you're, you're done. And then now I'm starting to, you know, really fall in love with furthering my own interests and learning new things. And uh, I, I think that kind of more uh, a kind of ambiguous learning is something that companies really need to get involved in and figure out like, how do we help people learn of each other? How do we just give people opportunities to try new things um, and kind of move them in some kind of direction, I think is super important, but it, it, it can be, it can be easy to, to not do uh, and make excuses for, for sure. Yeah, I, I really love like an open-minded approach to what learning looks like as well, which we can kind of maybe come on to, to later. But yeah, yes. I couldn't agree more with you. Yeah, and we're going to do that. We're going to talk about what you shouldn't do. <laughs> we're going to do that. Do. We're going to do that. That's just going to be how we roll. But I <laughs> I guess I feel as we're kind of passing through this, you know, we're hearing from from both of you about like why L&D is really important to you, you know, not just results-wise, but holistically within organisations. And it feels like, I guess I'd love to know from Raj's perspective, what was the inspiration for Learnably in the first place? Like, what did you have one of those like, you know, lightning bulb uh, moments when you were like, "Ah, oh, this is this is something that we need to change. We need to do away with the binder. We need to do away with the the big long courses and give something to teams that is more malleable and pliable." Yeah, absolutely. It, it was really scratching my own itch, right? So, as someone who ran 
was running a, a startup. I'm not a subject matter expert myself in sales, marketing, product engineering. We didn't necessarily have an HR function in the early days and definitely didn't have an L&D function. So the question was, how could I support my colleagues to learn and grow? And also recognize that people learn very differently. So for some people, they may like doing an online course, but for other people, they may want a physical book or they may want a coach or they want to attend a conference. Uh, and there's no quality control in the world of professional development. So anyone could be a coach, anyone can be a trainer. How do you know who's good and who's not? And that's it was a mixture of all those things that led us to create Learnably to provide a curated marketplace of the very best personal professional development opportunities uh, because I wanted something like that for myself. Uh, and most of our clients are scale-ups, fast-growing companies where they want to empower the employees to take be in that driving seat and not have to just dictate to them that you'll do X, Y, and Z. Uh, and so it was very much a combination of my own experiences having previously run a recruitment company and helped companies recruit great talent. The question was, then how do you develop them? How do you retain them? And, and you know, I was looking for a solution like this, hence led to Learnably. Love it, love it. Um, so let's start maybe on the other side of the coin, which is like, what do we feel like the common mistakes are that people make when it comes to learning and development? Raj touched upon it briefly, but um, it's this like, don't be prescriptive. I think, and I, I like to think businesses are getting better at, at understanding that people learn in different ways. Um, but I definitely still still see businesses, I guess, like send everyone on the, the very same course. And, you know, it's okay to say, this is a really good course to equip you for this role. So everyone goes on it. But I guess being open to them, um, approaching learning in in other ways. And, you know, I, I remember a time when podcasts were fairly new that a company probably wouldn't consider an employee that's listening to, uh, you know, a, a podcast daily as investing in their learning and development. But actually, that's a huge amount of time on their daily commute that they are giving to their, to their own learning. Uh, obviously, making sure it's like not serial and it's a relevant professional podcast. Um, but I think being more open-minded uh, is really, really important. And I don't think it serves businesses well um, to be really prescriptive, unless, of course, you're like in a medical profession and it, you should be very prescriptive in that. <laughs> so that there are exceptions to this. Um, but that would be my, my first tidbit and I think was a, a real game changer for Bourne. So what I heard was, people should listen to this podcast for their learning and development. <laughs> exactly. Perhaps. If you were in no, culture and ops, 100%. Someone, if you're listening, write that down. Yeah, <laughs> Send an email to your boss right now. Um, I think that's that's very true. Actually, one of the things, I wrote a blog post about this years ago, but when I started working at Wonderbly, um, one of the things that really attracted me to work there was the fact that they had a learning budget, which at the time, I know now it's you know very normal, but at the time, that was quite a cool thing, right? Like a lot of companies didn't have a specific learning budget. So I went through the interview process and I was like, damn, this is like extremely positive signals that the founders have already put this in. They've never had a HR team. Um, and then I came on site and I realized that that learning budget was like the biggest disaster and such a nightmare for me to try and untangle because there was there was no prescription, the opposite of what you're saying, Shara. It was just like, everyone gets a thousand pounds, spend it on what you want. Your boss approves it, have fun. People, my favorite one was there was one chap who's actually a good friend of mine. So sorry if you're listening, but he went to a one day free coding boot camp in Thailand, fully paid for his learning, on his learning budget. <laughs> and I was like, not sure if that's really quite the expense that we would expect you to be spending. Um, 
And I think that, you know, it was very close to everyone saying like, well, we should just scrap the budget then. We should just get rid of the whole thing and start something new where people have to like apply for permission and yada, yada. And I think that's a, a mistake I see very often as well is, is trying to do something that seems like other companies are doing it. It looks trendy. It looks cool. It looks fun. Okay, let's give everyone a budget, but they're not really thinking about what that means or how logistically it's going to work. I think you you definitely don't want to be too prescriptive, but you also want to make sure there's some kind of framework in which people know how to kind of spend the money or what they should be doing or where to get ideas. Because on one end of the spectrum, you'll have people going to Thailand for a one-day free coding bootcamp. And the other end of the spectrum, you'll have people who, like, you know, me when I was much more junior, really didn't know what I was supposed to do and was waiting for someone to say to me, you should probably go to this conference. And I just never would have spent the money. Um, so you need to have some kind of help, I think, to guide people. And if you don't do that, I think you're kind of, you're setting yourself up for failure as a, as a team. 100% agree. Um, and, you know, we've seen a number of different models that work and, and don't work. So firstly, just giving people a budget just says is not enough. Uh, you need to provide them with that support and inspiration of what to do with it. And uh, we've seen time and time again where we've worked with clients that have the budget, they report 10 to 15% of that budget ever gets used. And then subsequently working with a, with, with us, that will go up to maybe you know, 40 to 60%. So uh, you need to provide some level of, of framework and support for people to know, okay, this is what good potentially looks like and to inspire them. Uh, the other, on the flip side, we have had clients that have said to us, well, you know what, we don't want to limit them at all. So we're not going to say what amount it is. It's technically unlimited and perversely, which is similar to like unlimited holiday issues, people don't do it. Like you actually see there's less engagement and less uptake of budget when you say it's an unlimited budget. So actually giving people some level of parameters to operate with it, because if you don't, someone may be nervous to request a 30 pound resource, resource where someone else will you know, happily request a £3,000 thing thinking, yeah, it's, it's unlimited, right? Mm. And so it is it is important that you you guide and support people, but you can still do that without necessarily being prescriptive. So that could be through recommendations, it could be through suggestions, but ultimately giving the employees that choice to learn what they want in the way they like to learn, I think is, is really important. Mm. I also have one other little small kind of, it's this kind of stupid point, but I think one of the things that I think is really nice to do is I've had times before where somebody in like, I don't know, the product team has gone to do a one day pottery course for 35 pounds, right? And they've put it through on their, their budget and their managers come to me and said, oh, I don't really know if we should have product managers doing pottery courses. What do you think? And there's part of me that just says like, if it's under a hundred pounds or something and it makes someone happy and they're out there being creative. And I, I actually think it's really positive to allow people to kind of have those little fun learning splurges. Like, I don't think you should be sending people on a 10 day hairdressing kind of course or anything like that. But if it's something fun and small that helps them just kind of get out of the, the mindset of working nine to five, I actually think they're super, super helpful. So one of the things I always suggest is like allow your team like a up to 50 pounds, no oversight, spend what you need to spend, feel free to be creative <laughs> budget as well. I think it, it really does help people. Yeah, I really think learning is like a muscle. And actually, when you haven't used those muscles in a while, the motivation goes down. You don't really, you just you just kind of get out of the, the swing of it. Whereas if you can remind your team that actually humans generally love to learn, sometimes exercises like that, I really agree, can just like reignite that like, oh my God, it's so good to try new things. <laughs> and yeah, totally agree. 
the a, a slight build on Raja's point I was going to add is um I really agree with the suggestions and the coaxing but I'm quite a big advocate for for not booking things in for people mm. like you can take a horse to a, a to water but can't make them drink and I think to really build um a team that's self uh self-reliant to an extent they need to learn to take that responsibility for getting that over the line and um I think maybe you can do it once when they kind of join the business to really show them that it's totally okay like get it booked in go for it but then I think you want to set the expectation that they should be driving the actual um investment so that they they feel that ownership and responsibility for it and just building on that and going back to your other question we know we love that phrase I had to get that phrase in here (laughs) (laughs) we we have the merchandise to say building on that um so one of the things that we see time and time again is a as a no-no is, you know, companies will sign up to just one content provider and then they'll think they've done L&D. So like, oh, why hasn't everyone used this X content provider? And they'll, they'll see that you know, 10% or 15% of people have bothered using it. And then they'll they'll see that as a sign that people don't really care. And then they'll potentially kind of scrap the whole L&D agenda. So that's something that I think is a, is a big mistake. Um, another one is, is just focusing all your learning and training to just one audience. Now, we know it's important to support certain audiences like your your first-time leaders or or whoever they might be, but you do need to provide some level of baseline support for everyone in the organisation because it's just not, like, you will have a retention issue if, if if people that you're hiring and seeing that, you know, they're getting overlooked time and time again because it's only your top talent or whoever might be getting the investment. So it's really important that you democratise that um, access. And it's all about creating the culture of learning, ultimately. I'm sure we'll go into some of the uh, ways that we can uh, improve uh, the situation for this particular listener. But those are a couple of no-nos in my book. It's interesting. One of the kind of themes that's wrapped, you know, very delicately through everything you've all said is this idea that process can almost, in some instances, get in the way of what we're trying to achieve, which is learning and growth and and development. And that's something that I think businesses of all shapes and sizes really grapple with, which is like, how much process is the right amount of process? How much process is too much process? So that's some some ideas of things we want to do, we we want to not do. And, and, you know, limiting process is an interesting conclusion from that. Um, But what are some of the things that we should be doing? And and I want to be as tactical as possible. Um, You know, this listener is is clearly interested in empowering the team as much as possible to take as much um, uh, responsibility in their own development um, as they can. And obviously, outside of signing up for Learnably, which they, of course, must do. um, uh, What are the other things uh, that they should be doing? What are the other processes and maybe policies that fit around L&D? I think they should probably just ask their team is one of the first things I would suggest. Uh, Speak to their team openly about what, you know, learning means to them, how they like to learn, what they want to learn. Um, I don't think there's much point doing anything if you haven't had that conversation. Um, uh, that That is always my kind of first step, especially with this kind of thing, right? It's such a, it's such a personal question and it will be have very, very different answers for different members of your team. I think as we go through this, the answer to this question, I think we'll probably all agree that there's hundreds of different reasons that could results in this person being frustrated and sending this question in. And I think 99% of those reasons can be resolved with a very thorough conversation with the team to try and figure out what's going on. Um, So that would be the first step for me. 
Yeah, I think there is a, a broader question around the culture of learning. And as Shah said, it is a muscle. It's something that needs training and practicing, but it also needs to be modelled. And I think the leadership team have a role to play in, in sharing their own learning, sharing their own mistakes, knowing that failure is a part of learning as well. You don't have to just spend money and have an, a dedicated budget in order to facilitate L&D, as we've, we've, we've spoken about previously. It's, it's also about learning by doing as well. And I think that feeds into the broader cultural piece. And I think it's also about creating that time. So it's great, you know, Shah and the team at Born Social, that they they dedicate time and they, they carve out that time because time is often the biggest impediment that people say to, to, to learning. And so if you can have protected time in people's diaries that, you know, X number of hours a week or whatever is is for your development, then that's that's definitely a way forward. Uh, but I would definitely uh, say that that leadership kind of needs to model that and be open with with sharing the things that their challenges that they're working on. So the way you know I do that, and I've spoken about it in previous podcasts, is through my open three hundred and sixty, where whenever I get three hundred and sixty feedback, I then c- compile that and then I share it with everyone, and they say, okay, these are the things that I'm going to work on the next half of the year, the rest of the year, and then reflect on that next time around when I share it. So it, it, it kind of reinforces the fact that everyone is learning, including your boss, including the CEO, everyone is on that journey. Um, and it's a good thing for, for us all to do. Such a good point. I think on a, on a cultural note, um, I really think celebrating and recognising learning is, uh, is really important. So that, that positive reinforcement of the behaviour that you want to see within, within the business um, yeah, if people feel like the effort that they are putting in, you know, absolutely, it should be benefiting them first and foremost. So there's there's a reason and a motivation for them to be doing it that that isn't related to the pat on the back. But generally, everyone does really relish and value that a, a pat on the back and that recognition for for effort. So um, you know, making sure that we're not just shouting out the great work that people are doing, but also you know what is the work that's going into delivering that work which is a which learning development is a, is a huge part of i want to dig a bit deeper onto some of these so um in, in terms of let's start at the top which was um jess's suggestion that as with many things like speaking to the team is always a great place to start um are there any uh are you talking about one-on-one are you talking about surveys are you talking about a certain regularity you know how do you um how would you operationalize that tomorrow if if you were going into a business and you want to get a vibe on how they feel about L&D? Yeah, I mean, if you're a, like HR or people, person, leader, standing at the beginning of a quarter that you really want to focus on L&D and like implementing something, then I think the first thing you probably want to want to do is some kind of survey, um, some kind of like figuring out where everyone's at, what do they think on a broad kind of quantitative level um, and, uh, then kind of start drilling down in, into, uh, further detail, say you've already got some kind of program there or, already, and you're, you're not necessarily looking at starting something from scratch and rather there's a program that's already in existence, um, and you need to kind of figure out why it's not working. Then I would say, then it's a good place for a one-to-one with the team and say like, Hey, we've had this program for some reason, the engagement's not as high as we expect. I really want to see how I can support you to enjoy it more. Like what's preventing you from making the time as an individual to kind of get involved? Or is the program just not working? In which case, then let's start from scratch, take that one-to-one data and do a whole new thing. Um, and then the final thing is if you've got something in place, it seems to be broadly working, 
Um, but you want to make sure the momentum stays up. I think that's when you really need to be doing those regular check-ins with people, either as a one-to-one or as a team in retro. So we do retros um, once a quarter, like a full look back on our whole team and then a look forward as well. Um, but we also do kind of two-week sprints. But during that time, there's a special place just locked in for like, cool, what have we learned? What's coming up? What do we need to learn in order to be able to produce the next sprint? At the end of the quarter, we have the same big question. What's everyone learned? What are you aiming for? What are your goals? And those kinds of regular check-ins, I think, are also really important if you already have something in place. Um, but it really depends where, where you're at and what your specific challenge is, I'd say. Sorry, I was just, so, something Jess said there. I think that direction piece is really important that we've not touched that much on yet, um, no, which is whether you are providing a company vision, role responsibilities, feedback on development areas, promotion criterias, people really need those guidelines to help them make decisions on how to invest in their learning. You know, Learnably is a fantastic resource that you can literally type in keywords that spits out really relevant stuff to your learning. But what if you don't have those keywords? Like that, then it's really overwhelming. You've just got to scroll through and just look at what takes your fancy. And then you're like, I think this looks interesting, but is this the right thing that I should be doing? I really think businesses need to look at the direction that they are giving to, you know, if you can't give it at an individual basis, you know, think about maybe why you can't, but if you can't, at least at the very least, give it to a group of a a role basis or a department basis. Mm. I think some form of guideline on, um, you know, suggested learning areas is, is so key. I was going to say, this is a slightly OTT kind of version of, of what you've just suggested, but one of my like fondest memories of when I worked at Box um, I was quite junior then. I didn't really know what I wanted to do learning wise. And I kept getting my manager asking me these questions like, great, what do you want to take on? What do you want to learn? What's coming up? And I was just like, I don't know. I kind of like everything that I do. Like I'm enjoying it all. So maybe just everything. And he was like, well, you can't learn everything. You have to pick a thing. And I was just so overwhelmed by the options and Box had a very good structure and like lots of opportunities and lots of different types of resources. And I was just overwhelmed by the volume of things I thought were interesting. Um, so anyway, what he ended up doing, and I know we shouldn't be super prescriptive and, and take people to book things in, but he booked me and him together a two-day tickets to the LinkedIn conference back in the day. And it was so much fun. We had such a good time. But the only thing he asked me to do at the end of the day was like, at the end of the day, come back to me with your three favorite talks that you loved and you got heaps of stuff out of. And then what we can do is we can use those three talks to decide what you're going to learn next. Because that, if you're super interested in what they're talking about, then that means that's the thing that really got your attention. And it was such a good, like eye-opening experience for me to really understand like, okay, I can find everything interesting, but then these are the things I really, really want to learn about now. Um, and I think something like that, some kind of, you, know, you don't have to take everyone to a conference to help them be inspired, but you know, giving that kind of little subtle nudge to people to help them understand what's the difference between an interest and a passion or an interest in a direction is, I think, so valuable and something I really try to do with my team now too. Yeah, I just wanted to pick up on what you just said, Shah, because I think actually, Ben, you guys have done a great job on the progression framework stuff at Charlie. So maybe worth you sharing a bit about how you guys handled this. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess for us, it's that it's that, it's that idea of, um, giving people clear parameters that they can work within and and allow people to make decisions about what's important for them and what's not. And, um, you know, Jess clearly in that example has benefited from a, a really good manager. And and 
all of these conversations, team, end up coming back to, do you have a, are you working with a good manager or are you not? And, and Jess is lucky in that instance that that manager was like, you know, here you go. Um, this, is, this is the direction that you should think about. This is where you're going to get your inspiration from. And I guess what I worry as we think about our business growing is I want everyone to have the same experience and I want that experience to be really, really good. And it's hard to do that because everyone has different managers and different managers have different styles. And so one of the ways we get around that is by saying, okay, this is the progression framework and this is what success for development looks like at a number of levels and and therefore giving people things that they can pick up and focus on. Now, um, that's not perfect, but at least it gives a little bit of an inspiration about how people can um, can think about things. Um, Jess, the example you gave reminds me of sort of these managerial personas. And one of the ones I often talk about is the idea of the coach, which is like lots of question asking, but then also the idea of the personal trainer, like the PT. No one really likes their PT. Um, <laughs> That's a lie. Uh, I love my PT. Well, some people like, some people like their PT. And during lockdown, people love their PT because it's like the only, the only kind of outside contact people can get, <laughs> still virtually. Um, uh, and... Uh, but the PT pushes you and actually makes you a little bit uncomfortable and tells you to do things, right? It's not, you don't direct your PT sessions. The PT says you're going to do 20 press-ups, right? And I think sometimes as managers, it's important to not be lazy and to switch into that, you know what, this is a good thing for you to go and look at. This is a good thing for, thing for you to go and read a course to take uh, a movie to watch. Yeah, I agree. You, f- you feel very thoughtful. What's on the top of your head? Yeah, it's, I, I was thinking to myself, what's the line between, so there is, there is a difference between being prescriptive and playing that, that PT role. Um, and I think what I really like about what Jess's manager did there was they gave you that task that still actually gave you the responsibility for identifying the interest, but the exercise was find the three talks. Mm. And so that's quite, I think that's a really smart way of striking that balance between I'm setting you this exercise but still the outcome relies on an independent decision owned by you yeah so one of the things that gives me the kind of slight heebie-jeebies about this question no offense listener if you and and you don't give me the heebie-jeebies the question kind of it sets my alarm bells off a little because one of the statements was like we're giving them books but they're not reading them I mean I've been given so many books in my life and it's about priorities and times and if it's important, if I'm interested, if I like reading books. And I think maybe the challenge there with this question is like, maybe you should stop giving people books and rather give them a book list and ask them, write, like pick a book as a team and do a book club or pick your favorite book and then write a summary for everyone or listen to a book on Blinkist and then let us know what you thought about it or how you're going to apply it. That is so much of a better way and approach, I think personally, than just buying people books. Also, just just one of the bugbears I have is that in the learning and development industry, there is an obsession with measuring time of people spending learning. So like how many minutes did someone spend on this course? How many, like, did they complete X, Y, and Z? And we come at it from a different perspective, which is we're in the business of sparking imagination and inspiration. So actually, if you read the first chapter of a book and you got what you needed out of it, 
who says you have to read it, you know, cover to cover, right? So it, it may be fine that you just did that. And I think we also need to recognize that, that people learn for different reasons. They're looking for different things. And it's actually okay for you just to, even if you just want to dip in and dip out, it's, that's fine. You don't have to feel like, oh, this is a huge task ahead of me. And I've got to finish the whole thing. Such an important point. I really agree with that. Such an important point. And, and Jess, I'm completely with you in the fact that um, when I read that question, yeah, you know, giving people books isn't enough, <laughs> unfortunately, right? But it, um, we have to think much deeper than that. and We have to be much more creative than that. And I think, um, I think what's really interesting is that, um, you know, it requires effort from the organisation. Yeah. Saying you do learning and development and just giving people resources is not doing learning development. It requires creativity. It requires uh, input. It requires thought. It requires leaders to set a really good example of um, of what learning and development looks like. Um, uh, and if you don't have that, then uh, it's just not going to happen, right? There's no chance they're going to take responsibility for their own learning and development if you aren't setting that example. And maybe people are, by the way, taking it, but it's just they're not seeing it because they're trying to get everyone to read a book. That's the other thing, right? It's like yeah. maybe they're off listening to a podcast, like Shah said. Like Shah said at the beginning, which I really love, is like people like to learn. People love to learn new things. And sometimes it doesn't look exactly like you expect learning to look like. So maybe you're just looking for the wrong hmm. output, right? And, and I, I love what Raj said about the measurements thing. I really, the, the obsession with like kind of, ROIifying. I don't, that's definitely not a word, but ROIifying everything. Sometimes you can't ROIify a person's enjoyment and inspiration of a book or their ability to kind of apply something that they hadn't done before two or three times in the future. You just need to trust that people are kind of getting something out of it and that their engagement and happiness is a good measure of how much they're learning because people like to learn. Um, so yeah, I think maybe also just figure out what exactly you're looking for because you might not be looking for the right thing. Yeah, so true. And and so look, we're going to start to wrap up now and um, there are some really key takeaways there. So there's um, speaking to the team, asking asking the team, uh, really engaging with them. What do they want? What's important to them? Making sure you develop that culture of learning and setting really good examples. Um, uh, devoting time, right? Not measuring it, but devoting time, creating time for people so that they can learn. Um, and then celebrating it, as 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 Shah said. Um, and to wrap up, what I want to do is I want to run around the group, and I want to I want everyone to tell uh, the listeners what's something that you've learned recently. Because guess what? We're going to set the example, um, and we're going to be a bit vulnerable. And I'm going to do a little peek behind uh, the curtain here. We also have Mel, our producer, on the call. So um, I'm, I'm going to ask Mel to share something that she's. Um, learned recently as well um Mel you're gonna go last I'm gonna give you time because you didn't know this was coming this was a surprise um uh Shah's confident so Shah we're gonna start Shah's always confident she's always confident (laughs) what is is something that you've that you've learned recently um something I've learned recently so at the end of last year we developed a, a head of team and I think for the first time really have um, that layer of the business to, to look after. And I'm really learning that balance between giving them autonomy, but also working out how to basically make all of their ideas happen from a kind of 
financial perspective. So I'm working really, really closely um, with our executive finance director to try and map out uh, costs for the first time. And that's, you know, a, a spreadsheet is not where I love spending most of my time. So definitely on a steep learning curve, but enjoying it. Good, nice. That um, finance director is Mr. Dan Jarrett. He's probably listening. Um, <laughs> I hope uh, he is, Dan. Raj, what about what about you, mate? So um, I'm actually learning something nothing to do with my work, but I've started to learn how to DJ. So this is my deck. So the listeners can't actually see this, but oh, <laughs> the rest awesome. of the podcast is going. I literally bought myself uh, DJ um, equipment, but I've literally just started the course. I'm literally basics of beat matching and things like that and actually one of my colleagues one of our developers is is a former dj so he does friday kind of mentoring sessions with me uh, for an hour so just started that last week so um so yeah good. dj day is coming that. your way loving <laughs> Amazing. it exciting uh jessica what about you uh so i mean the glaringly obvious one for me is i'm in the last couple of weeks of a law degree so i had the week last week of doing my exams my hopefully almost my last exams. So basically every week is jam-packed in all my spare time with learning as much as I can about last semester equity, trust, land, and uh, uh, transactions. God, it's already slipping away through my memory. Um, But also I'm uh, in my like level B now of learning Dutch because I have moved to the Netherlands with my very Dutch partner. So can I bet you Nederlands partner? And you know what? It really works. I really like it. Okay, um, Mel, you've got to unmute yourself, mate. Um, give us something that you have learned recently, our talented producer. Recently, honestly, there's so many things I'm constantly learning. Um, I'd say the top two that are top of mind right now. Um, I'm learning how to do digital PR in a structured way. I've always worked at kind of like early stage startups, so it's always been sort of ad hoc, you know, take what comes to you and make the most of it rather than um, being strategic about it. Um, So that's been really good. Done a few courses, done a lot of webinars. And the second thing is the value of sharing. So while doing all those webinars, I've been writing up notes and like with the mindset of wanting to share my learnings, I think it's really helped me to take in the learnings even better by wanting to write it down in a way that would be understandable to someone who has no concept of the other things I do within my role. So very nice. Very nice. Strong. And a and a podcast day of you. So um we love uh, Mel. what joyousness. And and with that we've got to bring it to the club but for ben, uh, no, to you, ben, you. you can't just yeah, you up. can't you can't just oh, it weasel out of it. <laughs> Okay, yeah. team, you, you've caught me, you've caught me. <laughs> I kind of set that up. I was hoping you would do that little banter at the end of the episode. Um, sure, so Shah kind of stole mine, um, uh, which is that I'm financially and metric illiterate, basically, and yet I am a CEO. Uh, those two things do not go that well together. So um, I'm doing a lot of learning around that at the moment. Um, and uh, awkwardly, you can also see behind me, there's a little black box on the video screen just down there. It's like underneath the thing. Those are also decks, Raj. Oh, um, wow. I've been te- teaching myself to DJ for the last couple of years. Um, Shah will remember that I DJed the Friday night of my wedding two years ago. Um, <laughs> was a highlight. Uh, so listeners are thinking, you know, Raj and I are having big old midlife crises. Yeah. And uh, you <laughs> would You'd probably be right. Be right. <laughs> 
Uh, and on that, we will bring that to a close. I hope you've had a lot of fun with us today. Uh, really appreciate and whoever it was. Of course, it is anonymous. Uh, he sent in that question. If you've got a question, uh, please do drop it into us. You can probably find us all on Twitter and drop us a DM. Uh, you can email uh, melanie at charliehr.com or ben at charliehr.com and we will uh, happily put your question to the crew. I've got to thank our panel, as always, uh, Shah, Raj, and Jess. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, give us a wave. Silent wave. Very nice. <laughs> a very silent wave. Um, and, and as ever, Mel, our producer, sitting behind the virtual glass. Uh, my name has been Ben Branson-Gately, and I've been your host uh, today. And this has been There's This Thing at Work. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.